0: Well, I want you to turn your Bible over to Colossians chapter 1 if you have a Bible. Hopefully, you do. Colossians chapter 1. Trojan horses of the church today, or Trojan horses in the church today. This is part five of our series. We have touched on several. We have one more week as it stands right now on this issue. So far in this series, we've covered the Trojan horse of Calvinism, we've covered the Trojan horse of Lordship Salvation. We've covered the Trojan horse of corrupt Bible translations. We've covered the Trojan horse of study Bibles and commentaries. Again, if you were here last time on that, you know that uh, not everything in them is wrong, but there's enough there that is really leading people astray. People are putting more confidence in doctors of theology than they are in the Word of God, and that is a serious problem. Today we're talking about something that is really controversial— We're kind of stepping into the middle of things on that. We're talking about the issue of music, music, Trojan horses in the church today. Now, obviously, we believe in music. We've been singing this morning. You've heard it sung this morning. Nothing wrong with that at all, but it can be. And here's the point, folks. Not everything we hear, not every song we hear, not the entirety of every song we hear is necessarily false. But it can be a tool that Satan uses to bring the Christian down. In review of the term Trojan horse, that term today, we're not going to cover the whole history again of it, but it is used to refer to any kind of deception or trickery that is introduced, unknown, into a place where it can cause damage and destruction. So something looks good, looks favorable, appealing we bring it in into our lives or we bring it into our church. And as a result, it ends up causing destruction and damage to the church. We need to be careful of those kinds of things. Years ago, when our girls were still at home, we had a music store here in St. Cloud. It's called Schmidt Music. How many of you remember Schmidt Music? Okay, a lot of you do. And you get instruments there. We bought a piano from Schmidt and so forth. And and I remember us walking in one day, and let me put it this way. The wars about music are not going away until Jesus comes. Okay, so let's understand that. And so the wars about music, what is godly, ungodly, et cetera, et cetera, that's going to go on. But I remember even back then when the wars of music were going on, walking into Schmidt Music, See, because what people say today, here's what they say. And by the way, if you're watching this and you disagree with what I'm about to say, don't even bother emailing me. My mind's made up and I know we're right, okay? So just don't even bother. But people say this today. Music has no morality to it. It's amoral, okay? Now, listen, each note, that is true. Each note of music there is no morality to each note of music, but how you put the notes together does create a morality, a mindset, an appeal of one kind or another. Now, the only ones who argue with that are people involved today in—and uh, not all of them. So, so, I'm not saying everybody. Okay, being general. But it's the people involved today in a lot of the more contemporary Christian music. They're the only ones who will argue with. Your, your rock artists don't argue with this. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And a lot of the other artists know as well. It's just those who are involved with contemporary Christian music. Now, let me define that. Contemporary Christian music. Technically, contemporary Christian music is Christian music that is recent. It's contemporary. It's contemporary. There's nothing wrong with that on its face, but it's those who are producing that which appeals to the flesh, which is completely sensual, or which is propagating error in the terms. Now, what what am I saying? Am I saying all hymns are godly and all contemporary music is ungodly? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I will show you today with a very, very brief sampling that this is nothing new. As far as error goes, I'm not talking about so much the music today, because that's going to be debated a long time. But here's what was on the wall in Schmidt Music. Schmidt Music, secular company, no, to my knowledge, no Christian roots, whatever. It said this, this is on the wall. Music makes an important impact on how we think, how we feel, and how we behave. Did you hear that? This is a secular play saying this. Now, Christians are wanting to deny that today. But here's what it said. Music makes an important impact on how we think music. I'm not talking about necessarily even the words. How we think, how we feel, how we behave. Recently, I saw another one. It said this, music is audible emotion. Music is audible emotion. Now, let me just say this here. We as believers are not to be driven by our emotion or emotions. We are to be driven by the truths of Scripture. So let's talk about several things today. Number one, the purpose of music. Well, let me say today that God is the inventor of music. You ever wonder where it came from? Just like mathematics, God's the one who came up with it. God is the inventor of music. Music was created to bring glory to him as all things were created to bring glory to him. That's what I want you to see here in Colossians chapter one and verse 16. It says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created, or were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him music was created for him because that comes under the word all and he is before all things and by him all things consist remember the book of psalms the biggest book in all the bible what is the book of psalms it's a music book those are songs those are songs we know there is singing in heaven singing will go on by the way for all eternity I think one of the joys of heaven is those who can't sing down here will be able to sing up there. Amen. Amen. Some of you said amen. Well, I won't point you out, but it means more to you. I do not think that a lot of what passes today, though, for Christian music is going to be going on in heaven because it is of the flesh, it is sensual, and it's not biblical. And once we shed our sin natures, I think our music is going to be highly upgraded, So music, the purpose of music is to bring glory to God. But secondly, and here's where where we're going to spend most of our time today. Music is a vehicle for teaching in the church. This is what the Bible says about it. Music is a vehicle for teaching in the church. With this comes great responsibility for those who create it, those who compose it. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter three. You're in chapter one. Go over to chapter three. It says this in Colossians 3 and verse 16. "Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So you notice what comes first? the word of Christ, and how is it to dwell in us? It isn't something we're just familiar with. It is to dwell in us richly. That means you're saturated. you're rich with it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, watch this, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We should do everything to where it brings honor to him, to where God is glorified, not torn down or blasphemed. Notice that the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. Then we are to teach because we can then communicate God's truth properly. If it's dwelling in us richly, if we understand what it's saying, then if we then turn around and we start singing, whether it's just singing, Christian songs or hymns or psalms, we know then that it will be doing what it's supposed to do, and that is bring glory to God. Which leads us to our third point. The lyrics of any song must be true to Scripture. Now, this is where some people will say, Oh, Pastor, you're, you're being nitpicky, you're being legalistic, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I've heard it all. Okay. Friends, listen, there is never an excuse for a Christian to not be biblical. There's never an excuse for that. And I am not trying to pick fights with tradition nor contemporary people. I'm just saying, would you please give this an ear and be aware of this being a problem, a Trojan horse in the church that is causing problems, okay? The lyrics of any song must be true to Scripture. This is especially a time when music can become a Trojan horse. Through music, probably unlike anything else, through music, worldliness, rebellion, and false doctrine can come into a church. You might say, what do you mean rebellion? Remember, it affects how you behave, how you think, how you feel. And Satan uses this to bring it into the church and to pull Christians away. We often give musicians, this is unfortunate, but this has been my observation for decades. We often give musicians and those who put together the lyrics a free pass and a green light, it seems. We are seldom as critical of their words as we are the preacher's words why is that think about it oh if somebody gets up in this pulpit boy and says something that's not biblical we want to know about it right Uh, we're going to stop that that's not going to keep going why this pulpit stands for truth but it's okay for somebody to come up here and sing something that's anti-biblical that's not true to scripture well it's just a song wait a minute You know, folks, the truth of it is this. You put words to songs, that sticks many times more than a message that is preached does. Because there's something special about putting words with music. It gels and it's very powerful in what it does. Therefore, musicians should be held to the same standard as preachers. You're not going to hear that most places. As a matter of fact, in the book, The Strategy of Satan, the book was written by Warren Weersby. He said this, and I quote, It is sad, I'm quoting, It is sad to see congregational worship in the Spirit replaced by spectators watching religious entertainment on a church platform. By the way, that's what's going on in a lot of churches today. It is even sadder when that quote-unquote entertainment presents music that is not biblical. A singer has no more right to sing a lie than a preacher has to preach a lie. Satan can lie his way into a church as easily through a song as through a liberal preacher and perhaps more easily. Music plays on the emotions while preaching touches primarily the intellect and the will. There is nothing wrong with emotions in worship, provided they are true feelings and not shallow sentiment— and provided they result in a dedicated will that obeys God's word. He goes on, In my conference ministry, I have occasionally had to preach after a musical number that was so far from Scripture it could have come from the telephone directory. Pretty bad. It is not easy to preach the truth of God's word after a song that distorted God's word or refuted it. Alas, even some of the favorite songs and hymns of the church have occasional phrases and stanzas that are simply not biblical. And I believe we should avoid or change them. That is from his book, The Strategy of Satan. Do you see the issue of the Trojan horse here? I hope you see it. Now, let's move on. Number four is this, our church has simple music standards, and our church does have simple music standards. By the way, that's on purpose, because we do believe that, that there should be an openness not to error or wickedness, but as far as we're open to new, well, I have no problem with new, but we have standards that govern that. Okay? And by the way, they're the same standards that govern the older stuff that we sing as well. So our church has simple music standards. We have nothing against new music as long as it is conservative in composition and the lyrics are biblical. Now, I know people say, well, how do you measure conservative? Okay, let me tell you this. Every church has its culture and we, we say what conservative is and what it isn't. We're not going to argue about it. We're not going to do a vote on it. It's what's decided. Somebody's got to decide that, right? And it's worked for us for many years, usually. We've had a few minor wars years ago over this, but not in a long time. We also avoid using music that comes from those we know to be false teachers or heretical teachers. We need to be careful not to imitate the secular lost artists of today. By the way, this was a very, very popular thing in uh, Christian bookstores several years ago. I can remember going into one, and they literally had a chart, a table, okay? If you like Madonna, this artist, that artist, and all that, all these different groups here, then here's your Christian counterpart, this is the one who sounds like, buy this person. If that, if this is what you like, buy this one. They sound the same. Can you imagine? I almost threw up when I saw that. Why? Because that goes contrary to Scripture. Let me show that to you, by the way. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. You see, some Christians, they say, well, I just can't seem to, to get on top of things. Or, you know, I know I'm supposed to serve the Lord, but I, you know, I don't really, that's just really enough... <laughs> I don't know if I really want to serve the Lord or not. Let me see what the music on your phone. Let me see the music on your phone. Not really. I really don't want to see it. Let me see what you're listening to on Pandora or one of these other ones. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember all the names of the different sites where you can stream music. Let me see what you're listening to. And chances are, friend, if you don't want to serve Christ, there's a very good chance you're not listening to godly music. You're listening to music that promotes rebellion. I know people don't like that, but it's true. If you're honest, you'll come to that conclusion. Anyway, that's what I think. Look at Romans 12 too. It says this, be not conformed to the world. Don't be fashioned like the world. That's not just talking about clothing. It's talking about attitudes and your thinking. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, folks, we should not try to imitate the world. With that in mind, let me just go one step further, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it I'll, I'll, needs to be said. There is no such thing as Christian rock. There is no such thing. Rock music, even simply by where the name came from, is inseparably linked, to immoral behavior. You read the quotes from those who are the most popular rock artists of all time, and they will tell you what rock music is about. And it's not about good, godly, clean living. It is about perversion and immorality. As a matter of fact, even the term rock and roll has to do with immorality immoral living. And that's being as discreet as I possibly can about it. Listen, you don't clean up that kind of music by slapping a cross on it and changing the words. It's the music that's driving it into you. You know, I can hear songs today that I heard growing up, and I hear them now, and it's like, I didn't know that, that they were saying that in that song. But I like the song. Why? Because I like the music. See, the music is the vehicle to bring it into the heart. Remember, music has an effect on how we think, how we feel, and how we behave. And so just changing the words, it hasn't changed the music. So we need to be careful about that. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Very similar to what Colossians said. Now, in Colossians, it talked about letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. In Ephesians, it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, to be Word filled is to be Spirit filled. When the Word of God is controlling my life, the Holy Spirit is controlling my life because the Holy Spirit's the author of the Scriptures. It says in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. In other words, don't be under the control, under the influence of wine. But be filled, under the influence of, controlled by the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Doesn't it sound like we've read that before? We did. Colossians 3. 16 and 17, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Let me give you a statement that is absolutely true. The Holy Spirit will never lead a person contrary to Scripture. By the way, remember that for next week. The Holy Spirit will never lead a person contrary to Scripture. I've had some people over the years. I always kind of say, okay, here it comes. When I hear this first part, I always hold on to my seat because they'll say, well, you know, I prayed about it. It's like, whoa, here it comes. Wait a minute. Can I just take a deep breath before you say the next part? Because I know what's coming a lot of the time. I prayed about it, but I had a man once say, I'm divorcing my wife. I'm going to continue on in the adulterous relationship that I'm in because I prayed about it and God wants me to be happy. I remember him saying that in my office, and I just got up. I said, we're done. We're done. He wasn't a member here, didn't even come to this church. I was talking to him because his wife, who was heartbroken, wanted me to talk to him. He came in because she wanted him to come in and talk to me. As far as I know, the guy was even saved because I questioned him. I talked to him thoroughly about his salvation. He saved but not interested in following the word of God. You might say, can that be? Yeah, go to number one and two in this series and you'll understand that. See, the Holy Spirit never leads a person contrary to scripture. So let's give some examples of songs that are not doctrinally sound. Now, let me say this before I get into any of these. Maybe a couple of these hymns might be one of your favorite. Look, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you. I really am not. I'm just asking you to do this. Would you please measure it by Scripture? We love each other, right? One, two, three, group hug. (laughs) But I will mention both old ones and some new ones. And by the way, the last ones I talk about, I haven't heard any of them, but I've seen the lyrics, and that's enough. I will mention both old and new. Here's one, and, and let me tell you something. If it wasn't for this one line in this song, it would be one of my most favorite hymns of all times. I cannot sing it. As a matter of fact, if we sing it in our church, we've actually, we did change the wordings, haven't we, on, on this first one? Okay. We changed the bad line, and I don't know if you can do that, but we did it anyway. Don't tell anybody. It's the song Victory in Jesus. Boy, that's the banner song for a Baptist. I mean, Baptists get together. They start right in on victory. I heard an old, old story. Yeah, everybody loves it. It's clapping, all excited. Verse 1, I heard an old, old story, how the Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Amen. Boy, that's me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood atoning, Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. What? What does that have to do with winning the victory? The song is about salvation. Is that how you're saved, repenting of your sin? Completely unbiblical. That last line, folks, is works for salvation. That is what it is. It's works for salvation. Oh, pastor, you're you're being nitpicky about it. I'm just asking you, compare what it says with what the Bible says. Should we be singing that? No. So what we sing is, then I believe in Jesus Christ and won the victory. Yes. Now we can sing it with a good conscience. See, I just can't do it. Now I know people say, oh, wait a minute. I like that song. We sing that, you know, I sang it growing up and all. I understand that. I'm just saying this, folks. Can't you see this false doctrine? Can't you see that being a Trojan horse into somebody's life, confused about the gospel, confused about salvation. How am I saved? Oh, I, I heard it today in, in church. We sang it in church. We sang a uh, victory in Jesus today, and that tells me how I'm saved. I repent of my sin. And they automatically think, that means I turn from all my sin. That means I quit sinning. That means I'm sorry for my sin. Well, then weeks later, have you quit sinning? Well, no, I haven't. I must not be saved. You say, Oh, come on. Listen, person after person, testimony after testimony, people all their life grew up hearing you got to repent of all your sin to be saved. They were never saved until later on they heard the gospel and they trusted Christ the Savior. This is the stuff that can cause a problem. How about this one? Boy, this one goes back. The church is one foundation. Whoa, don't touch that one. Listen to this line in verse four. Yet we on earth have union with God, the three in one, and mystic, sweet communion with those whose rest is one. I'm not quite sure what that means, but that's not the bad part so much. Oh, happy ones and holy. Do you remember when we covered Calvinism, the last point, perseverance of the saints? You have to endure to the end if you're going to be saved. And what God does is he provides the grace for you so that you can work, so that you can make it. Lordship salvation. Oh, happy ones and holy, God, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, may live eternally. God, give us grace so that we can live eternally. That's not God give us grace so we can live eternally. You're saved by grace automatically when you put your faith in Christ it's confusing at best. Do you see what I'm saying, folks? Let's just be clear. Why not be clear? Why not be accurate with our words? Here's one that's just a little confusing. I don't think it really harms as much as doesn't really help people. Remember, when people sit down to write music, they can write anything they want. So let's be accurate. And by the way, let me throw this out. Those of you who feel like, oh, I think God wants me to write songs. Amen. You know what? We can use some good songwriters. Good composition, good lyrics. I love the song. I love the song. But this last line, I have a hard time with it. The great hymn, he lives. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Walks with me, talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. It should be. The Bible tells me so. But that doesn't rhyme. He lives within my heart. What does that mean? What does that mean? He lives within my heart. What proof is that? I'm not making fun of this, okay? And I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm just saying, do you see where that can just be confusing to a thinking person? He lives within my heart. What do you mean he lives within your heart? Do you feel it? Is it kind of like, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, I'm being sincere. Like the Mormons talk about a burning in the bosom? Here's what I'm saying if we're going to write songs, let's be accurate, let's be clear. And let's hold musicians and composers to the same standards as we do those in pulpit. And by the way, we can use some songwriters. Here's one that is perhaps the worst, one of the worst in our hymnal. And if this is your favorite hymn, I apologize ahead of time. Whiter Than Snow. How many of you know that the hymn Whiter Than Snow? I, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Here's a person who wants to be saved. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. What does that mean? Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 2, Lord Jesus, look down from thy throne in the skies, and help me to make a complete sacrifice. I give up myself, and whatever I know, now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. This works for salvation. That person's going to agonize their whole life. Hold on to your seats on this next one. Okay, as a matter of fact, I'm going to duck down. (laughs) I think the song is misapplied because it is so strong doctrinally, but it is misapplied. It's a Christmas song. Oh, Pastor, don't touch those. Don't touch it. Joy to the world. Have you ever thought about the words and joy to the world? It's really talking about the second coming to earth to establish the kingdom age. Have you ever thought, listen, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Not sure about that. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Now listen, there's a false teaching going around today. And by the way, the hymn writer did not know about what would be taught later on. But it's teaching that Jesus is ruling and reigning today. Did you know Jesus is not ruling and reigning today? It's called progressive dispensationalism. Jesus is not ruling and reigning today. God is in control of the world, but he is not ruling and reigning. And let me say this, and I don't mean this, and obviously the Lord knows my heart. With the world out of control the way it is right now, folks, things are not going well. Let me tell you something, when Jesus does rule and reign on this planet, it's going to be a whole different world, and it's going to be wonderful when he's in control. And that's what this is talking about. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. That's right out of the Old Testament. It says that's the way it will be when Jesus is reigning in the millennium. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That's millennial. The curse will be off the earth. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Jesus is going to transform the planet. Yeah, joy to the world. The Lord has come. But that's the second coming to earth. Okay? I'm just saying, be aware of it. Okay? The truths in that song are actually second coming and millennial truths. They're not first coming truths. Yes, he was offered as the king. They rejected him. We know that. But that is not what's in the song. Okay, early 70s. Somebody came on the scene. I think it was early 70s, mid 70s, 80, somewhere in there. Amy Grant. Now, some of you younger people, you probably don't even know who she is. She was one of the top contemporary Christian artist of her time. And she splashed on the scene with a song, very popular. A lot of you have probably heard the song before, My Father's Eyes. How many of you have heard My Father's Eyes? Okay, most of you have. You ever listened to the last verse? She was extremely popular, extremely popular. I mean, every young person, especially teenage girl, just thought, oh, Amy Grant, you know? Here's the last line. On that day when we will pay for all the deeds we've done. Good and bad, they'll all be had to see by everyone. And when you're called to stand and tell just what you saw in me. Give me one scripture that teaches any of that. That is nowhere in scripture, what she just said. Extremely popular lyrics, though. In that day when we will pay. Let me tell you something, friend. If you one day are going to stand and see what you need to pay, you died lost. Because those who've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior have had his payment for sin put to their account. We have eternal life. We are forgiven. We have no sin to pay for. That's why I'm going to heaven because there's no sin to send me to hell. I'm secure in Christ. He paid for my sin. I am never going to pay for my sin. It was paid for on Calvary. I accepted that payment as my own. This is false. This is false teaching. Oh, come on, pastor, give her a break. I'm not giving her a break because there's a lot of people walking around and this is their theology. And where'd they get it? They got it from a song. Good and bad, they'll all be had to be seen by everyone. How do you know that? And when you're called to stand and tell just what you saw in me, where'd you get that? We stand at the judgment seat of Christ, not the judgment seat of each other. God is not going to be bringing up witnesses against me when I stand before him in heaven. It's so far off and yet embraced. Okay, one more. Several songs. I'm just going to give you some of the lyrics. It's by a man named Carmen, a guy named Carmen, contemporary Christian artist. Extremely popular. If you've never heard of him, that's because you don't listen to that music. Good for you. Italian, what can I say? By the way, he just passed away this last year, this year. Very sad, I don't wish that on anybody. He was nominated for four Grammys. He sold over 10 million records. Now, why do I tell you that? Not to glorify him, to let you know how popular he is with young people. they listen to anything he sang or said. They follow him. It is believed he holds the world record for the largest single Christian concert in history. In one of many concerts, he had over 80,000 in attendance. 80,000? That was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And you thought all they listened to down there is Southern Gospel. No. Carmen, extremely popular. He wrote a song, Holy Ghost Hop. By the way, he's a Pentecostal. Holy Ghost Hop, he exclaims. Hey, all you brothers and you sisters too, don't let tradition tell you what to do. Release your worries and your fears because we've been hopping in the church for years. If King David were here, I know that he would do the Holy Ghost hop with me. The Holy Ghost hop? Are you kidding me? Who would listen to that? Well, evidently, at least 80,000 kids in just one concert believing, singing it, listening to it over and over, getting it memorized in the mind. Do you see how this is a Trojan horse in the church? He had another one, another cut, entitled, Come into this house, sung to a heavy rap style. Carmen says, I've got news you can choose. You need to be delivered. With Christ you win, without Christ you lose. But if you jam with the lamb, you're smooth. What kind of irreverence is this? Cut out the jive, cut into church. You need a healing touch, a big strong hand. Come rock with the flock, with the brothers that jam. Folks, all that does is produce a rebellious spirit. I'm sorry, I know. Again, don't write me, I will not respond. He had another one, another song, Satan Bite the Dust. He claims he has, quote, been sent with a warrant from the body of Christ to arrest the devil and to run every unclean spirit out of town really? Who do you think you are? You better not mess with the devil, friend. Peter made that very clear. By the way, in the inspired scriptures, you let God take on the devil. You don't have the power in yourself. He claims to have the authority to cast out depression, strife, disease, and fear. Carmen can do that. That's what he said. In this strange song, he asserts, quote, Satan, you coward, you molester of souls, I command you to appear couple other scriptures now. All I'm saying is this, folks. Do you see where this can be a Trojan horse in the body of Christ? This can be a Trojan horse in the church. We need to be careful. Parents, you need to be careful what your kids are listening to. If you start seeing wrong attitudes in them, it could be the very music they're listening to behind your back. You need to govern this kind of stuff. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, in verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. In other words, don't... And by the way, that fashioning yourselves, that's the same exact Greek term where it says in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to the world. Same word. You notice, don't fashion yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Those lusts that you had, those sensual desire you had when you didn't know better. In other words, when you were lost. Peter saying... Don't live like you did when you were lost. Live like you're saved now, because you are. See, that's always the call to the believer. It's never behave and you'll be saved. It's now that you're saved, let's behave. Do you see the difference? But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Not self-righteous, but holy. Here's what I'm saying, folks. Let's be careful of what we listen to, what we sing. Let's hold musicians and composers to the same standards as we do in the pulpit. Oh, but pastor, give these people a break. No, I will not give them a break. Don't write music until you write accurate music. You don't get a green light. Don't write until you know what the Bible says because you don't want to be publishing things that are false. You're accountable to God for that. Now, there's a battle going on, and the bottom line is this. The battle is for the souls of men. God wants people listening to him, not poor representatives of him. He wants them listening to him because he is the one who tells us how you can know you're going to heaven when you die. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure where you're going. Let me explain to you very briefly. Let me explain to you, though, how you can know for sure you're going to heaven before you ever get up and walk out of here. If this hand represents you and me, we're going to let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are, we're sinners. The Bible tells us, though, that God loves us. Isn't that good news? God loves us in spite of our sin, in spite of our failures. God loves us. He hates our sin. Sin separates us from him. Now, to get into heaven, you have to be sinless. We are not. Therefore, we're not going. If that's all there was to it, no one would ever die and go to heaven. Because we can't get in with our sin. It has to be gone. We die with it, we'll be lost forever in hell. God says this, I love you, but I hate your sin. See, friend, there's nothing you can do to work this sin off. We're not saved by our works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, it is not of works, lest any man should boast. No amount of good works will take away sin. Death is the only payment. The good news is this. God so loved us, he himself took on flesh and he made the payment for us. This represents Jesus Christ. Came into the world, he went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself and he made the payment so that we don't have to. He did it, paid it all. All the sin of your entire life has been paid for through the blood of Christ. He died, he came back from the dead and he says this, if you will put your faith in him, he will save you by his grace, his undeserved favor. What a wonderful truth that is. Jesus put it this way in John 6, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath, that means you possess that moment, everlasting life. It's a gift. It is free. God loves you so much, he paid the price. All he's asking you to do is believe In Christ, that he made the payment for you. And when you do, the very moment you do, you have everlasting life. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. What a wonderful truth that is. That's the God of the Bible. Not, oh Lord, give me grace so that I can make it one day. No. The moment you trust Christ, you're saved by his grace. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.